right, shall we talk about Phoebe's bar? What? Phoebe Waller-Bridge goes out with Martin McDonough. Oh, God, she does, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Welcome. <laughs> okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Oh, you're so sad now. Ben is really sad. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is the Will Be Movies, a podcast. 25 of my favourite movies from a given decade. This is volume 1, 2000-2009. Ben is sad because I just told him who the director of this movie is going out with. But Ben, will you be able to make it through the next probably hour of discourse? Yeah, I should be alright. Re- I, I knew that they were doing this. It's just like my opinion of this man has gone down ever since he started actually being nominated for many, many Oscars. Well, he didn't get nominated for this one. This one is called In Bridge. He did, he did. He got a nom- Nomination for oh, original screenplay. Original screenplay. All right, all right. A nomination though. Didn't three billboards win things? Three billboards won some acting stuff. Oh, okay. it, it shouldn't have won acting stuff. Well, <laughs> in any event, this is episode twenty-one. This is in Bruges, uh, chosen by both of us. I feel less good about choosing it than I did several weeks ago, but I do still think it is extremely good. Written and directed by Martin McDonough, who is the paramour of one Phoebe Waller-Bridge, to our chagrin. It's his only feature film of the decade. He is a playwright traditionally by trade, but then he went on to do Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri in the next decade. I have seen neither of those. I want to see Seven Psychopaths. You and many other other people whose opinions I vaguely trust warned me off three billboards <laughs> so I haven't seen it but given some of the content of this movie knowing he did that and knowing what you have said about it I'm like okay that makes sense <laughs> yeah like like I haven't seen in Bruges since I saw three billboards and I was like watching this guy like oh no the, the seeds are all here for like <laughs> yeah you can you can trace it backwards <laughs> <laughs> like like literally literally the two biggest issues in three billboards are the race issue and Peter Dinklage's character. (laughs) Hey, what do you know? We will get into it, and I have some interesting, possibly rhetorical questions for you, but yeah. Uh, Released February 8th, 2008 in the US. At some... Like, this... How did this come out in the US first? April 18th, 2008 in the US. Uh, I would assume, because Universal or Focus or whatever. Like, like, I imagine some part of it was... Come on, look at it. There's a Canadian and some Americans, and the Americans are clearly... Actually, Irish and the part uh, of a joke. I yeah. mean, I mean, it premiered in January at Sundance, and then yes. obviously a month later, it's out in the US. So obviously, I feel like they had some degree of kind of distribution in mind because there's no way that you take a movie from Sundance and put it out in February yeah. unless you have all that stuff kind of like lined up. Fair. And also, and also, Colin Farrell is still Colin Farrell, even though like he's had like those series of bombs, he still is a bankable star in America. Yeah. In whatever way he can. I mean, I say bank. He's good looking and he can act. <laughs> yes. He can He can definitely act. Um, and he is definitely looking. He definitely is. That episode of Scrubs always comes to mind where he just charms everyone he meets throughout it. We have finally left 2007 behind us after, what, six entries? Yeah, six, six movies in 2007. Okay. Um, so we're done with 2007. We're into 2008. Yes, and I don't know offhand how many 2008 movies we're doing, but you can do your full 
whole suite of features for our breakdown of the year 2008. So go crazy. I know this yeah, has been we're, we're, we're only weeks. doing two movies okay. for 2008. So here we go. So best movies of 2008. So we've got stuff like Wall-E, which um, we will cover someday. It mm. was also definitely on this list at one point. but One of three cut. Pixar movies. <laughs> yep, yep. I do love Wall-E. It's my favorite Pixar movie. Spoilers. The Hurt Locker came out at Venice Film Festival in September 2008. So it technically counts as a 2008 movie. Left Right One In, which is a fantastic Swedish horror movie. A little movie called uh, The Dark Knight. Never heard of it. <laughs> it's Noctkeep New York, which is Charlie Kaufman, which we decided not to cover for this because we've done two Charlie Kaufman movies already. We're getting too <laughs> well, much. Kind of, yeah. Hunger by Steve McQueen. It's one of his early movies. Um, obviously, uh, we will be covering Steve McQueen in the next decade. Mm. His most interesting stuff is still to come. We've got Man of Wire, Wendy and Lucy, Slumdog Millionaire, The Wrestler, Gran Torino, Milk, In Bruges is this movie. Like Lots and lots of really good movies came out in 2008, but not as many in 2007. No, but 2007 was a monster. So nominated for Best Picture this year, we have Slumdog Millionaire, which is a good movie. I enjoyed it. Yep. Curious Pegs, Benjamin Button, which um, I also enjoy. I feel a lot of people are kind of like, it's Forrest Gump, but it's David Fincher doing Forrest Gump, which makes it a bit more interesting. It's a weird movie. I watched it on like a laptop when it first came out because like, yeah, no, I watched it on a laptop and then I saw it in the cinema and I saw it with a friend who had been like working like stupid hours and they were just like, I fell asleep about halfway through. I found that really boring and I'm just like, I really like it, but I've not seen it in like a decade. So my opinion could change. Not that we're covering it for this podcast. No. Frost Nixon, one of those acting showcase movies. That you love so much. Which I love so much. Milk, another one of those acting showcase movies, which I love so much. Mm-hmm. And then The Reader, oh, yeah. which, which the movie that finally won Kate Winslet her Oscar. Yeah, you were just reeling off films that I've forgotten existed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, These are the five pictures for Best uh, best Picture. My favourite movie of the year was not nominated for Best Picture, much to my chagrin. It didn't win any awards either, so oh, well. yeah, we, we will get into my yeah, distaste we... next week. Yes, we will. How about that money then? That money, highest gross movies of the year. Uh, number one, this this movie, again, I, I didn't realise I made this much money, The Dark Knight. I would think I would have heard of it. I know. $533 million at the domestic box office. That's an awful lot of money that movie made. It sure is. But number two, even more importantly, the best of this franchise, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. My God, really? It tricked that many people? <laughs> $786 million. And I will say this, it's better than Temple of Doom. That is my hot take on that movie. Okay. Uh, number three, Kung Fu Hustle. Number four, Hancock. <laughs> number five, like kind of like the end of Will Smith being able to be like the highest grossing movie star in the world. Mamma Mia, Madagascar 2, Quantum of Solace, Iron Man. Don't know. Wally and the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. Um, again, like, what happened to that franchise? That's money. In Bruges does not show up on any of these lists. <laughs> no, from, why would yeah, it? <laughs> apart from getting one Best Original Screenplay nomination. It opened in the UK March 7th. It opened to number 11 at the UK box office, earning £692,000 mm. or equivalent. Colin Farrell got Best Lead in a Comedy, right? At the Golden Globes, I think. Uh, yeah, that's Golden Globes. No one cares about the Golden Globes. Yeah, and also it's the musical and comedy category, so... Mm. <laughs> it opened, opened behind such movies as Vantage Point, The Other Berlin Girl, and The Game Plan. Good lord. Three movies I think, don't think we ever thought we'd bring up on this podcast. But then somehow, interestingly, how many weeks into its run? In its seventh week into its run, it opened in an additional 220 cinemas and earned almost $1.3 million equivalent in the UK. Oh, yeah, it's still open behind 21 and Fool's Gold, though. Not... <laughs> 
not quite as interesting as learning sunshine was playing on a screen somewhere in the world at the time <laughs> of the recording but yeah this is true oh son of rambo was out at the same time as in bruges oh that was a fun rambunctious little movie Rambo. <laughs> anyway this is 107 minutes long it's breezy we are we are done with our our bloated oscar bait now uh for well for now in those 107 minutes they fit the word fuck 126 times that is 1.18 fucks per minute how many times does ralph fines say that or ray fines sorry Come on. I would imagine Rafe has a good chunk of that. <laughs> and you have to remember, there are large chunks of this movie that are just piano score, so that's quite... Uh, a- Carter Bell's score for this movie is really good. It really is. Like, you get the Coen Brothers composer and you're going to get something good. Yes. It is a good score. Rafe Fiennes doing this role is particularly weird. Oh, I've got like... some things to say about that, <laughs> don't you worry. So, on a budget of $15 million, surprised they got that much. Box office, it took 35 I'm surprised it was profitable, but hey. Because, I mean, it's small. It's small, it's very adult, it's very regional, and also it stars kind of like three actors who are... Two actors who are that point, kind of like that guy from Harry Potter. And there are five Colin... people from Harry Potter in this movie. <laughs> or one of them hadn't done Harry Potter at this point. <sighs> Yeah, right. Yeah. And then Colin Farrell, who at this point is coming off of such massive hits as Alexander, The New World, and Miami Vice. Why didn't Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx and Miami Vice work? Like, that should work. It does. Miami Vice is a great movie. What? Miami Vice is so good. That's your hottest take, and you just said that Crystal Skull's Batman than Temple of Doom. Miami Vice is a Michael Mann fever dream that is really good, <laughs> and like, like Jamie Fo- Jamie Fox flat up ruined the end of that movie because he's just like, I don't want to shoot this movie anymore because I don't like being in this movie, so he just leaves, which oh. is why he disappears for like a, a massive stretch of that film. Oh, okay. Gong Lee doesn't know English and is doing all of her dialogue phonetically. Okay. Well, I'm more interested in Miami Vice now than I am in Bruges, so well done. I don't have a huge amount of information about the backstory of this movie. The script was on the the Hollywood Blacklist. Harold Pinter's play, The Dumbwaiter, was a huge influence, which is, of course, about two hitmen who await their instructions on who they're going to kill, and then it turns out it's one has to kill the other and you can see how that would have affected this and knowing that mcdonough is a playwright and like you can see he's got a lot of sort of old-timey influences i I will say the thing that i like about this is even though it is very play-y in Mm. terms of like the way the dialogue plays out and stuff like that that a lot of stage adaptations to screen they feel a lot more stagey than this does and this movie is a hell of a lot more visually interesting and cinematic yeah like it's not like something like fences which (laughs) we just moved it from a theatre to a house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's like it, it feels very much kind of like it's still very stagey in how it's set up, and like you can see that DNA. And whilst you can see the DNA here, it's kind of more like something like the lighthouse, where like a friend of mine when we saw the lighthouse together, she turned around and said like that felt like a pin to play, mm. but it's so much more visually interesting, and you kind of wonder how they would stage it with all the effects and kind of stuff like that that they do in that movie. Whereas something like Fences, where it's just like oh, I know exactly how they stage that because it's just people talking. <laughs> like they're, they're there isn't there isn't more to the movie than than that it's an acting showcase which would play just as well on a stage as it does on the screen ray and ken were originally set to be english but then they went and cast Connor farrell and <laughs> brendan gleason. gleason so let's not make them do bad english accents but that explains why like they work for harry they live in london etc uh, they just didn't bother to change that yeah that's lit i've got nothing i have nothing about like 
who they wanted to hire instead of who, where the ideas came, none of it. So let's just get into it. Hitman, Ken, and Ray check into a hotel in Bruges, Belgium. For those of you who didn't know where Bruges was before you saw this movie, it is in Belgium. On the orders of their boss following Ray shooting a, for now, unidentified person. They open with these really, and they you see them at the end as well, these really beautiful shots of the kind of, and I don't want to paraphrase them, but you know, the gothic and all that, you know, like the, <laughs> the church, you know, the angel statues and all of that and the piano score is great and you've got I want someone to do the maths on how many people have gone to Bruges since this movie came out how much of the tourism of Bruges has been like there must be like a tour or something of all the locations that they filmed this movie on I'm sure it's not like the main draw but it, it's one of those things where like it's such a nondescript town that it probably is kind of like, it's like a, a fairy a selling... tale town it's beautiful how could this not be anyone's cup of fucking tea oh, yeah and good. Bruges is a fucking shithole Colin Farrell's like low energy narration as he's talking about how he dumped the gun in the Thames and washed it. it. It's, it's almost Justin Through like in yeah. its kind of monotonous. Yeah, I yeah I could see Justin Through doing like a version of this for American audiences in a it's just a small town somewhere. Oh, in who, do, who would we go? So Justin Through as <laughs> as Ray. Yeah. Who's who's the Brendan Gleeson equivalent? A still alive. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, that'd be really good. You know it would. Oh, and then who's feel- Harry? Who's Harry? Oh god, it has to be someone like. I mean, I I, I kind of would want to do like Gandolfini if we're doing like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, our fan casting aside, yeah, I like that him talking about like washing his hands in a Burger King bathroom. It kind of really es- establishes the tone of. I do enjoy when a movie does that kind of thing where yeah. like it, it uses a piece of real life iconography that isn't branding or anything like that. It's just like something that you would do. Like, where's the closest place in London to a church where you could probably find a bathroom that was yeah. open? I think it's more of a damning like thing than than like advertising it's like yeah in a fucking burger king you know <laughs> like yeah and it, it the movie throughout it does oh, we either we've talked about it before i've talked about it with mike i've done it on a podcast where like it's deliberately a bit shittily realistic you know like no one is that smooth at fighting or anything and until you find out the truth about both ray in general and why they're here his description just makes it sound like oh we just did a job and now we're waiting for it to blow over and then of course you will find out the horrible truth but before then you just get ray just tearing into bruges he has roughly my temperament when i am forced to sightsee in europe <laughs> just the old buildings and that i want to do like his full line of like if i if i grew up in dublin if i grew up on a farm and was maybe, maybe no i'm not saying that word no go on they say it they say it repeatedly if i grew up on a farm and was the r word maybe i'd be impressed but i wasn't so i'm not <laughs> there's a wonderful flow to the dialogue yes it's just every single character speaks in a lot of slurs. Yes. I'm going to say some words I don't say in everyday life. They say repeatedly, retarded, spastic, puff, bumboy, gay, like, as a derogative. All sorts of shit. It's bad, and I kind of forgot how bad it is, I guess. I guess that's a sign of, like, growing up, and, like, at times I've seen this, I just sort of, you know, you listen to a lot of, like, Eminem, and you watch all these, like, movies that are full of swears, and you're like, ah, whatever, and, like, yeah, it sort of all hits different now. I'm an 
adult but yeah it's it's a problem and it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable watching it this time and I was at times like how can we tear down certain films and TV shows for being problematic and hand wave this just because the rest of it is good and I guess it comes... Well, well I think I think the entire thing is when we're having these discussions is and it's why a lot of people disagree with cancel culture is the conversation should be acknowledging that the movies do these things and these are bad and like that is a very important thing to bring up and say like this is a thing that if this movie came out now yeah. probably would not let the movie kind of get to the point of a claim that it is but I think the rest of the movie just about kind of makes up for it in terms of how good it is and I'm sure there are people out there that disagree and say like this is reprehensible trash that kind of like feeds into stereotypes about gay people people small stature about racism and all these kind of things mm. but I do think that the movie manages to maintain a quality the <sighs> emotion is there the drama is there the, the emotion yeah and, and like there is a there are things that I think are reprehensible and like really should be not in this movie but I think the the way that they talk about and the way that Ray keeps using like certain slurs they are true to how a character in this situation would speak yeah or true to how this character would speak in that he isn't a good person no and I mean so, they're hitmen for fuck's sake yeah yeah and it, like and, and I'm like the thing is I'm sure I'm being entirely contradictory to like my my very vocal opinion about three billboards well that's what of, came to mind it, when like realizing he did both of those movies and realizing this is full of stuff and I haven't seen three billboards so I can't speak to it but I have heard accusations of well obviously like the main character commits a racist act but then like he gets like a redemptive arc and then like he's, he's, he's so he's not the main character he is okay. a supporting character in the movie but he is a, a police officer who has previously like beaten up black people yeah. in racially charged ways and I've had arguments with people saying that he isn't redeemed by the movie but I do think the movie kind of puts him on a redemptive arc yeah and then uh, like the, the like total number of lines for black characters in the movie is, is like very minimal and yeah, it's very noticeable that you hide an Irish man from, from <laughs> Ireland to write a movie about race issues in the US. Yes. <laughs> which you think is the core of the problem at the heart of Three Billboards. And that's not to say you can write things, you can't write things outside of your like realm of view, because obviously I don't think Martin McDonough is a hitman. No. <laughs> so, so therefore he has been he is able to write a movie about two hitmen. But they are based around people who have a core set of cultural values that are applicable to him, yeah. which is entirely different to the core tenant of Three Billboards, which mm. is about people in southern states of America in which racial violence and racism yeah. are still incredibly prevalent. And like there is stuff in that movie that I think is good. I do think Frances McDormand is really good in that movie, and I think the stuff of her grappling with the fact that her daughter was raped and murdered is the good part of that movie. Mm. It's just he's trying to do something that touches on political issues issues that he is completely unable to grapple with and even in this movie he is completely unable to grapple with the reality of some of the stuff that he's writing even though yeah. i think this movie is more successful in that it's they are they are funnier there there is a kind of like oh look let's laugh at the racist element to this movie yes. which isn't exactly re uh, present in three billboards yeah back to the yeah. like, it, you can't get around it like it comes up frequently but just yeah ray fucking hating bruges while uh Ken is like just smiling as they go along on the little canal boat. It is great. I strongly relate to Ray here. Uh, not in my use of language, but yeah, I. I... <sighs> 
quite frankly, I've been to many European cities that I think are the fucking same, and I have never been interested in old buildings and that, as he would say. So, uh, yeah. There is a nice beat with Ken trying to get rid of his coins to go up the tower, that he will use those coins later. And I like the beat that the guy would rather take a 50 euro note than let him go in 10 cents short, you know? See, I, can't, I mean, I understand why they don't, because the payoff to that gag is he gets out the 50 euro note, but also I've been that person in retail, and I would definitely have rolled my eyes if someone had brought out, like... I know, I thought that was the whole point. He's like, all right, you want to be a prick? Here's a 50 euro note. I assume he has a smaller one, he's just being a prick. Um, don't bring up 50s, anyone. You have to check them, it's a real ball like also like Ken pretending to shoot Ray while he's at the top of the tower and like before you know what's up that's just a fun little beat and then when you realise and watch it again it's like oh <laughs> I think he well actually he doesn't know he's there to do that but maybe on some level he suspected I, I don't know I mean like they, they bring it up in kind of like one of the next scenes which is like uh, they go sit in a bar and he's just like oh like we might be on a job you don't know that we yeah. like why why would he send us to Bruges yeah. like it's all very kind of like very elaborate to <laughs> yeah we could hide out in croydon coventry <laughs> oh coventry no one wants to go to coventry or croydon ray uh insults some americans it's good it starts off very well-meaning and then in that way that kind of like ray is he's far too blunt and far too uncouth because yeah. he immediately goes like why can't we go up there it's like oh because you're a bunch of fucking elephants look at you you're fucking elephants yeah, like, and I like that Ken has the exact same guys. I wouldn't go up there; it's really narrow. And because they Ray has pissed them off, they like react to Ken far stronger than they do Ray. Like. Which has the fantastic payoff later on in the movie. Yes, which again is another another problematic thing of this movie is the kind of vague fat phobia that you've got going on. But I think it's coming from a place of most other countries don't like America; they think they're all fat and they're bad tourists and stuff. So I think it's coming from there. But yes, if you couple it with all the other phobias there are in here it certainly doesn't create a nice uh, dotted line so ray convinces ken to go out for the night rather than wait in for the phone call from harry as they've been instructed and they stumble across a film set and ray takes a liking to a girl called chloe you get the bit here where i mean we've talked about how there's a lot of problems with the homophobic slurs but when he says one gay beer for my gay friend and one normal beer for me because I'm normal it's like you have perfectly captured this kind of prick that everyone (laughs) has met gay beer is definitely a thing I've heard a lot of people say Um, saying for my gay friend is where it goes too far I think (laughs) you know the beer in a chalice type thing yeah that's definitely the the thing is I know so little about beer that I've got no idea which one's like what beer he wants like a straight pint in a pint glass and and, and Ken is drinking oh, okay. like so a he, European... He's, 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 he's doing the, like, the... the not, not even a pint, he's doing, like, the half-litre kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, Ken's got, like, a blunt in, a, in like, a little chalice. And, and yeah, it's a thing. He is very excited by the presence of... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to use the word he was. <laughs> Are we going with I mean, the movie, the movie, the movie goes The movie goes with Dwarf, which is an actual medical condition. Yes. Which I'm fairly sure is incorrect described. And they do claim that the character prefers Dwarf uh, because Ray says midget. He says they're filming midgets. And his fixation on little people and apparently Martin McDonough's is odd. 
and it, it's pervasive. It's not just a one-time shock yeah. thing. Okay. He... So Jordan Prentice, the actor, does have dwarfism. Yes. He does have dwarfism, but he is a self-described person with source, source, short stature, is yes. how he describes himself. I, I read that, yeah. But yeah, but like Ray coming out with like saying a lot of little people kill themselves uh, and like <laughs> going in depth about why that might be while trying to chat up Chloe, which is fucking shit chat, by the way, but she is a weirdo and she's into it, so... <laughs> This is only more egregious now, in hindsight, with three billboards. <laughs> just because, of, just because of the presence of Peter Dinklage in that movie, and it's like I remembered that, that, like, obviously this was a subplot in 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 Bruges, in 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 Bruges, <laughs> in 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 Bruges. Um, but it's but it's such a weird hang-up. If it comes up in multiple movies, I'm now like looking at the at the writer with the, <laughs> with a funny look, you know, like. I like Ken forgetting which alias belongs to him when uh, Marie, the the hotel co-owner, not receptionist. We need to do the note. Yeah, Ray finds... I love that they don't have voicemail and so it's like a hand, you know, she's typed it out and they have Ray Fiennes narrate this, like, sweary fucking phone message. Number one, why aren't you in when I fucking told you to be in? Number two, why doesn't this hotel have phones with fucking voicemail and not I have to leave messages with the fucking receptionist? Number three, you better fucking be in tomorrow night when I call, otherwise there'll be fucking hell to pay. I'm fucking telling you. Harry. And then she writes the little note at the bottom, I'm not the receptionist, I am the co-owner. <laughs> I love that she wrote it all down and didn't take out the fucks. Just... <laughs> I love that she wrote it down and then she also signs it, Marie. Yeah. Yeah, I like them having Ray Fiennes narrate this. And like, he is this presence that we don't see for two-thirds of the movie. And... Yeah, like he literally only shows up at like the very end. Yeah, we will talk about Ray Fiennes. So Ken insists because of this that they stay in the next night so they don't miss another call. Ray points out, well, only one of us needs to be there and I want to go on a date with Chloe. So Ken is like, all right, but I'm picking what we do all day. So they he picks their daily activities and uh, yeah, they, they spend the day in Bruges. And when he's talking about the balance between fun and culture, I believe he says something to the effect of like, a big, fat, retarded black girl <laughs> on a seesaw opposite a dwarf. And I was just he like... Does, he does indeed say that. That is... Why? Why, the did, most, like, it, why did she have to be black in this yeah, metaphor? Like, the line itself is probably the most problematic line in the entire... Yeah, he just picked them all and, and just threw them in one line, didn't he? It's that moment where you kind of go, like, breathing through your teeth and go, like... Ooh. <laughs> yeah, when, you're, um, like, when you've recommended it to someone and you watch it with them and then this line comes up, you're like, oh. You can really tell this dude wrote three billboards, can't you? But yeah. then it's also that thing where it's like, it, it does kind of nail that. Like, it does pick up on like every single one of his hang-ups. Both Ray and Martin McDonough, uh, they, like, you could probably like do a case study on like Martin McDonough's entire career yeah. based on this one line in this movie. Yeah, probably. Look, I feel on some level this would have worked if it were like an Irish independent movie, and like, or if he'd done more of an effort to address that. Clearly, there are some problems with things that Irish people aren't familiar with, shall we say, <laughs> or something like that. But inst- when you're presenting it to the world without judgment, almost, it's like. Mm. Strange. I will try to stop being hung up every time something comes up. I, I think I think like there there is only one significant one left, really. Yeah, kind of. So we finally get our flashback because Ray is sitting in the square and he sees children playing, and we finally get our flashback of why they're here. And uh, he is confessing to a priest played by Mance Raider two episodes in a row, and I still won't call him by his real name. He's confessing to murder, and he's like, "Of who? You?" And then he kills him. 
badly. And yeah, two two shots through the wall and then three shots as he stumbles away. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we later learn this was his first job and his only job, we will find out. Uh, and it sort of makes sense why he wasn't the smoothest at this. But yeah, in the process of putting a further three bullets in him, one of them goes through him and kills a small boy who was at a very odd angle. A very odd angle, yes. Um, yeah, this is when the very dark penny drops, I would say, and this movie becomes something more than just a swear fest and a problematic fest. And this through line of Ray's guilt, I think, saves this and takes it into very good movie territory because Colin Farrell fucking crushes the crushing weight of the guilt of this action, I think, throughout. Yeah, like, Colin Farrell is such a good actor. Yeah. And, I wish and, he got to prove it in better things. And, yeah, last thing is, he's such a good actor and, like, he he started off really good in stuff like Minority Report yeah, and then they, kind, then they kind of immediately saddle him with Bullseye and Daredevil and... <laughs> SWAT and Alexander and then he kind of retreats away and starts doing some more like independent stuff and like I think I think he's fantastic in New World I think he's fantastic in Miami Vice even though Miami Vice is the peak of his like there is cocaine in my veins <laughs> and, like, I, th- I think that he like basically like he fin- he wrapped filming on Miami Vice and immediately checked himself into rehab are you saying he did Total Recall completely sober uh, potentially oh, um, this is kind of like post what you hope to be sub- sober Colin Farrell getting to be kind of like a little bit cheeky a little bit more off kilter he's not playing the kind of dashing leading man even though he is ostensibly always going to be that because he is so damn good looking mm. they but tried he... their best to make him ugly and horrible bosses but it's like i can see a babe under there <laughs> but yeah like this i feel like this is the kind of start where like he does occasionally dip his toe into kind of more mainstream hollywood fare but like from this point onwards he starts doing a lot lot more interesting stuff where he starts doing like the lobster and killing of a sacred deer and widows and all these kind of like little bit more off kilter things and i you have to kind of thank this movie for kind of like being a bit more mainstream than the likes of the new world and miami vice in kind of proving that he can still front the movie and have it be successful and you know while he's talking to ken about it and like you, you know he's crying and it's just really good um yeah i, I, mean, I, I think the main three actors in this are all on point Yes. Like, like throughout, like I think, like this is possibly my favorite work of all three of those leading male actors. Yeah, they go to an art gallery. Uh, he declares, "I like this one. The rest are all rubbish." By word, I won't say. <laughs> The one they're looking at, I believe that is The Last Judgment, which is somewhat reenacted in our final scene. Uh, you can tell he's a playwright, can't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, like this scene, like they kind of start hinting at the kind of like idea that Bruges is a stand-in for purgatory. Yes. Around this point, it's a little bit heavy-handed, but again, yeah, as you well, say, he is, a, he is a playwright. He. We like symbolism. We like foreshadowing. We, we like themes. Yes. In, like big neon letters. Yes. Chaos is the theme of the Dark Knight. Knight, sorry. They have the conversation about how um ken killed a lolly what was it like a lollipop he kills he kills a lollipop man because the lollipop came at him with a bottle and then they start discussing like why does he know karate why does he know karate he says what was he a chinese lollipop man karate is japanese just just i think think that's 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 his just ignorance i think in general Mm -hmm. so ray goes on his date with chloe he punches the canadian man and his girlfriend uh that's (laughs) literally the entire plot point i wrote for that um (laughs) he wouldn't punch a woman but she 
if you come at me with a deadly weapon, that's different. You know, I would never hit a woman. I'd never hit a woman. Please don't think that. But that was different. I like that he gets to honestly tell her what he does for a living under the guise of it seeming so ridiculous that like she takes it as a joke but then it takes this dark turn because he's like well she says i sell drugs and she's like do i look like i sell drugs and he's like do i look like i kill what's he say like people uh, do, I, do, I look, do i kill priests and children she goes like not priests but Just you children. children and it's like oh <laughs> and then she fucks with him with the heart you know she essentially does the like your mom my mom's dead thing when he's like making light of the like child abuse situation in, in belgium and she's like oh one of my friends was one of those murder victims and it's like we are just we're far adrift from political correctness and like safety here yeah like we? this this is this is a pitch black comedy <laughs> yes yes pitch black it's pitch black comedy that i feel because it because it mostly stays within its own kind of like wheelhouse of being irish hitmen it mm. it just manages to like yeah it's like you're watching someone play flappy bird and they only just like make it through the gap that is a convoluted metaphor but i will take it well it's a simile anyway i like that he holds vietnam and john lennon against what he assumes to be an American man. I love uh, his obsession with the Vietnamese. I know. Again, like that. I like that as a weird plot point, which is like he brings it up to the Canadian and goes like the Vietnamese. I'm like, why are you talking about the Vietnamese? What have the Vietnamese got to do with anything? The Vietnam War. I think he sympathizes with people who have been like oppressed. Yeah. <laughs> he does punch a lady, and then he calls her a cow, and. I guess that's mild considering the other things he says, but hey-ho. So while he is on this date, Harry calls, and after a long conversation, he finally gives Ken instructions to collect a gun in the morning so he can kill Ray as recompense for killing the boy. When Harry calls, playing on the TV that Ken is watching is Touch of Evil by Orson Welles, which contains a very famous continuous shot, and from the moment he answers the phone until the end of this scene, it is a continuous unbroken shot in homage. I really like the banality of the conversation with him being like, what? Is he in the toilet? Yeah. Oh, what's he doing? Is he doing a weird repose? Oh, what'd you tell him? Oh, he didn't. He didn't mind. Like, oh, have you seen this? Have you I, seen I just that? love that he makes. Him, I love that he makes him repeat all the stuff that we've just heard him say. I know. What did he? What did you say? I was like, oh, I told him to go for a drink. And what did he say? And it's like, did he not hear him? And he's just wasted this elaborate deception he's come up. This needlessly elaborate deception. Which is which is why it's so good because yeah. Brendan Gleeson's kind of just like hurried, like like all like harried, kind of like recapping of the conversation he's just had the way he bobs his head and counts like visually for like how long is realistic for him to hold the door open before he closes it and it's is... potentially for nothing yeah he's like <laughs> caught himself in this lie and then he's having to fact check it he's like we'll go outside he might still be there it's like we know he's not there because he was never fucking there <laughs> i told you he was going to the loo he wasn't going to the loo he was never here i just thought he might want to talk to you yeah oh very very good i love harry flipping out when uh because he says how he went to bruges when he was seven and like that's the last time he was there and he has this lifelong obsession with it because he went there as a child and it was like the last time he was a truly happy isn't it what he says. oh the last happy holiday i ever had i think he says yeah and just flipping out at ken for saying that Ray wasn't enjoying. He's like, oh no, but as soon as he got into the proper town, he loves it. <laughs> and then it's like, when he's finally satisfied, he's like, right, you're going to go and get a gun. 
<laughs> so you're gonna go to Ramstrat. It's like yeah. Ram with two A's, and like they have this. This is definitely like a like an honor among thieves type mentality with criminals, where like anything involving children is over the line, and Ken has to do it because he's the one that brought Ray in, and it's like this the the code of honor or whatever amongst people that murder people for a living yeah it's this incredibly difficult thing because you know we haven't seen harry but they make him a bit of a buffoon at times but he maintains this like scary edge you feel bad for ken for being put in this situation we will talk about ray fines when he physically appears i think so (laughs) chloe's boyfriend attempts to rob ray with a gun with blanks in it but ray takes it from him and fires one in his eye blinding him so chloe takes him off to the hospital ray steals her drugs and does them with ken Jimmy, who is the little person, and two prostitutes. We have more where he's talking about skinheads and how they used to just beat up 12-year-old Pakistani boys and now they all have to be, insert your slur of of choice. Let's skip over all of that and just get into Jimmy's race war rant. (laughs) No, I want to touch on the little bit where they're in the bar and... Ken is drinking like like four pints in 20 minutes or whatever it is that the bartender says mm-hmm. and then Ray shows up and he's just done like a load of coke and he's yes. just like my heart might stop any second do you want to do some coke and he's like I thought I thought you don't want to do coke anymore because it makes you depressed <laughs> Brenton Gleeson bugs off to the toilet does a lines of coke and then <laughs> Red, like Colin Farrell's poking of Jimmy in the head to try and get his attention to tell him off for not waving to him earlier yeah. is incredible and then Brendan Gleeson sidling up and kind of like <laughs> resting a little weird his- face <laughs> I like that he says I've got four on me and one in me when he says how much coke he's got. Because, I mean, he spends the whole film putting his foot in his mouth and just not having a filter, and he says about, oh, Amsterdam, isn't that just prostitutes? And she's like, yeah, so I came here because I thought I'd get a better price for my pussy. And he's like, you's a weird... Do you want some cocaine? <laughs> um, yeah, and Jimmy has a little rant about how there's going to be a war between black people and white people. And Ray is just sort of asking him who... F- and he uses the word half-cast, which we, we don't say that anymore. But no, Ray, we don't. Yeah, and he's just asking which of these various ethnic groups fit where and... It's something. They are doing the whole laughing at the racist bit. Yes. And I do enjoy Ray kind of like at the end of it going like, well, I'm not going to fight with the whites. I'm going to fight with the... Oh, I think like, they've got the Vietnamese. Got... Yeah. <laughs> I love that that's the turning point for him. It's yeah. like in all of this, I was like, oh, they've got the Vietnamese. Nah. Yeah, it's... It's a whole thing. It's that thing again where it's like, I understand why you're doing it, but still someone had to write this all down, you know? And Yeah. I, I think it just about comes out on... Of all the problematic things in this movie, I think this one is... Because it's made a joke and that Jimmy is the butt of the joke and they are all... You know, when they later hold it over him and he was like, oh, I didn't say, yeah, you did. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but... That would just be on coke. I wish this was the most problematic thing in the movie, but it's not, unfortunately. But this seems kind of like it is saved by Mm. Ken's speech at the end about his wife. Yeah, he says his wife was black and she was murdered by a white man in 1976. They originally filmed a flashback where Matt Smith was going to be playing a young Harry and he was going to walk in, see the young Ken holding his dead wife and then march into a police station and behead the policeman that did this. And the only reason they cut it out was because they felt the CGI decapitation looked shit. It does look pretty bad. I've seen that. Oh, have you? Oh, it's online. Oh, okay. I I just read about it. I didn't know. 
it was viewable. Oh. I will go look at that. That sounds right. like a good let casting. Me, let me. Let Does me Domino Gleason play a young Brendan? Uh, I'm not sure actually. It becomes a pretty good beat for the end of the movie as well, and it's like it comes out of this like borderline disgusting scene, and it's just this this nice little moment where like. Ken is saying, like, you know, well, where should I throw my lot? He's like, oh, I don't know, man, you gotta do what you gotta do. I'm just high. And then he karate chops him and leaves, and it's strange. So Ken does go and collect the gun in the morning, but then when he realizes Ray was about to kill himself, he stops him. They have a big talk. He puts him on a train to start a new life. He calls Harry, tells him what he did, and he's like, you know where the hotel is, come get me. So, when Ken goes out, we see Ray is actually awake, and he's pretending to be asleep, and he, he does this, he did it when he was getting ready for the date, he does this nervous thing where he's, like, putting his hand in his mouth, almost, and he's got, like, the single tear, and, yeah, it's, it's so good, like, he is really, really nailing this, like, you know, I'm, I'm giving it all that, but this is killing me, almost literally, and another nice little thing is, throughout the movie, Ray wears one outfit, except for the flashback, whereas Ken has multiple, and it's like, maybe they're trying to go for, oh, you know, left in a hurry, didn't bring anything, but I read it as... So um, depressed he can't be bothered to, like, change clothes. I, I read it as, like, he knew what he was gonna do when he came here, so why bother bringing... Like, ah, okay. Like, why shop for food if you know you're gonna... You know, that thing. But, you know, either way, he's depressed, he's not looking after himself. That whole deal. You see, you know, Marie tells Ken that Ray gave her 200 euro for the baby, and, like, you know, he puts it together what's happening, and they... It's such a powerful scene when he, like, approaches him from... And I can't remember... I can't cast my mind back to the first time I saw it, but I think it sort of shocked me to see Ray pull the gun on himself as he was approaching him, but it's it's really well done, and their conversation about it is great, and, like, that Ken is completely fine with handing Ray his gun, and then he confiscates Ray's one in return and everything, and it's really well, they both are acting their socks off, quite frankly. Yeah, it's it's that moment where it's like, I love that how involuntarily it feels, because obviously, like, Ken is fully about to shoot him in the back of the head, and then he sees Ray pull the gun, and then immediately, the moment he sees Ray pull the gun, he's like, no, don't, like, what, what are you doing, what are you doing, Ray? And it's like, he still cares about this person, and yeah. it makes you think, like, he probably wasn't actually going to pull the trigger. Mm. Everything about it is kind of, like, so well set up, and... And it even is, and it is kind of foreshadowed when he goes to buy the gun. Like mm. even though most of that scene is kind of like all about the alcoves and yeah. nooks and crannies and whatnot, but it is very much like you can you see the look on Ken's face, and it's yeah. like oh, this is this is the face of someone who who is done with this life. He wants to spend his life bumbling around European t- cities and not murdering for money anymore. It's so weird because he's so nice, and you never actually see him kill anyone except himself. And the idea that this guy has, you know, that that it was Ray's first an only time and Ken has been doing this for years and it's like you can't imagine him doing it but hey it's really dark when they come back to the hotel and he finds Ray's note that says I went to the park so she wouldn't have to clean it up and it's like Jesus instead I'll do it around the small children well yeah there is that and when he puts him on the train I really like when he says that's the one thing I love about Europe you don't have to learn any of their languages and it's like that's so true we've all travelled Europe and like you get spoken to in whatever the regional language you're just like I'm sorry I'm a dumb English person (laughs) so we finally see Harry 
when he calls him and he smashes the phone to pieces and Ray finds I quite frankly did not think he had this in him because obviously probably his most famous role is Voldemort who is the big evil man but it's a much more like over the top I mean he he done Schindler's List and was like the big villain in that he has the English patient I think the big issue with Ray Fiennes was kind of like because of certain films he kind of got put into like leading men roles which I think he's so much more interesting as like a side character actor and like and like not necessarily the villain because I think he does play villains a bit too too frequently even though he is really good in Harry Potter he is really good in in this but it's so much more interesting when he's given something just a little bit more left of center than what he's normally given and so like this is kind of like his the second stage of his career really yeah I mean he's great I just didn't think he had this sort of like scary London gangster character in him because he so frequently plays like very posh people and he's very good at that and just him smashing the phone to pieces and when his wife says it's an inanimate fucking object he's like you're an inanimate fucking object (laughs) and then he he apologizes And it's like, okay, so obviously, like, he's got a bit of rage, but, like, there's still, like, a functional relationship in under all of this. Yeah, in some he's way. got his three perfect children, and, and they've got their housekeeper or whatever, and, and, yeah, it's, for a hot minute, it's like, is Harry the nicest one of them? And then, no, he comes out with some really bad stuff as well, but, uh, he's great, and I really love that it takes this long to see him, and then you just yeah. see him standing there holding the phone, and we've gotten it's... used to him on the other end of a phone, and then he's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a really effective piece of getting you invested in a character who you don't see before now mm. for all the shortcomings in terms of like the individual words that they choose to get stuff across mm. this movie does a phenomenal job of characterization of world building yeah. of kind of getting across the personality of the characters it's just kind of like every single thing about it like you could change words and like what they what they are aimed at doing and make it punch up rather than punch down yeah. and it becomes kind of like probably like close to a perfect movie yeah. in, in, in like kind of like every functional way in that you yeah. can make it so that these characters talk about these things in a similar way to how they do with this without it being as slurry and yeah. without it being as kind of like offensive to everyone in that way that kind of yeah. like like in that kind of way that Dubros try and be and oh, it becomes right. a far stronger movie for that reason Definitely. and I still I still love this movie because I do think that like it just about manages to overcome all those things but I can also see a world in which like you would write this movie off and yeah. go like no this movie is irredeemable trash I think I think it needed that producer who was a little bit more conscious of how it was going to play to audiences and just be like could you just tidy some of this up I mean I'm, I'm, but the thing is I'm sure it being at this point almost 12 years old when they shot it it being kind of like a very small independent movie that Martin McDonough probably got to do mm. based off of like the cast that he got and his strength as like a playwright mm. that he probably got away with not having much yeah, kind I, of o- oversight and I and I feel like that lack of oversight probably is what kind of leads us down the road to Three Billboards where mm. being the writer director there isn't other creative voices coming in to kind of go like oh maybe you shouldn't be the one doing this and I don't think that the experience of Three Billboards has in, endeared him to to change his to change his tone. I mean, the fact that that movie came very close to winning Best Picture yeah. is 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 very scary. I'm glad the Oscars managed to hold off for a year before giving it to like the really bad trash racist movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, maybe his lovely girlfriend can needle him about his uh, behaviours. Anyway, Harry arrives in Bruges. <laughs> I said it. He collects a gun, he meets Ken, they have a drink, they agree to go up to the top of the bell tower, they have no idea Ray has returned. I like that it's the Canadian from the restaurant that gets Ray arrested and taken back to Bruges. Um, because, yeah, he punched two people in a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't just get to walk off. And I do like that he genuinely feels, he's like, Canadian? Oh, fuck. As if, like, he's like, I don't have anything specific against Canadians. Um, I'm just, because this, so this is Zeltiko Ivanek, who is kind of like very well known for playing supporting characters on TV shows. And this is like a point where like he's, he's doing like three TV shows, I feel like at this point. Did he do Heroes? Yes, he was on Heroes for a hot minute. He was the hunter. Yes. In Heroes. He won an Emmy for Damages. Uh, He's on Lost. He's on The Mentalist. He did that really good episode of House. Yeah, like again, like he's he's doing a lot of TV stuff, and he still somehow found the time to fly, presumably fly to Bruges. I don't know whether or not the entire movie shot in Bruges, or whether or not they shot some in London, and the location stuff is. I think most of it is Bruges, but yeah, it, it's just like did they build sets? Because obviously, like a lot of the stuff that he, all the stuff that he's in is like he's on a train and he's in a True. restaurant. He's not in the location stuff, so it could be yeah. maybe that's how they got him. I like that Chloe bails him out, and then he's like, "Do you want?" What's he said? Do you... Oh, sorry, I took your cocaine and your acid, and she just looks direct to camera and says, "English humor." She's really good in this. She is uh, the, the the other Harry Potter actress, Fleur de la Coeur. Um, Fleur de la Coeur. Oh, I should have kept calling uh, Brendan Gleeson Mad Eye Moody and just refused to call them anything but their character names. But I don't know. Voldemort, Mad Eye Moody, and the character that Colin Farrell plays. Yes, exactly. And, no one and seen should that. and should have continued playing. Have you seen Fantastic Beasts? No. Oh, so you don't know who he plays? The moment they said we're doing five of these, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> so, so, so Colin Farrell is Johnny Depp. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I wish Colin Farrell was the villain of the series and was making sexy eyes at Dumbledore. I'd be far more into that. As far as I know, he's never been problematic to women and Native Americans. I like Harry turning down an Uzi because I'm not from South Central fucking Los Angeles and I'm not here to kill 10 black year olds in a drive-by. And it's like, for a second, it's like, is Harry the only one who's saying (laughs) problematic things that are on like the right side? You know, like it's like a criticism rather than... (laughs) And then seconds later, Later, he calls Eric a puff and a blind little gay boy, and it's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. I like we get more, we get more Alcoves discussion. The the two of them share that as a little in joke, knowing what's about to potentially happen. That's a nice moment, and the tenseness of Harry rocking up and Ken just sitting there casually at the table and like offering him a beer, and they just sit there, and it's like stuff's gonna go down, but we don't know when. I did, I did enjoy the summary that someone put on a website somewhere that was the only movie you'll find where Mad Eye Moody calls Voldemort a cunt over beers <laughs> you're a cunt you'll always be a cunt <laughs> yeah cunt kids <laughs> have some cunt kids that is over the line you take that back I retracted it didn't I <laughs> yeah and you get Harry like swearing he would have killed himself on the spot if he'd killed a child which is some foreshadowing of course and I like that Ken gets away with calling him a cunt because in his mind he knows he's gallows humour you know like he's going to die yeah like he knows he's gonna die so he's like well well, I'm gonna air all my grievances with this person who and what I love is that he kind of airs all his grievances here and Mm. then as the conversation progresses they go up the tower it starts to become more just kind of like right I've I've done all the things that annoy me I also am indebted to you forever for all the great things you've done in my life yeah like alluding to his integrity and his honour and how you know avenging his wife essentially and 
and saying like, but despite all of that, I had to not, you know, I had to basically say fuck you, and I've done it, and I've accepted whatever you're gonna do. And- yeah, and, and I, I I understand because like there are an awful lot of people that will think like Harry, where killing a child is the absolute worst thing you could possibly ever do, and he probably should be in prison. Yeah, 100% he should be in prison for what he's done. Well, yeah, I mean, he... Uh, that's not probably it. He also deliberately killed an adult man. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't know what the, we don't know what the priest did. It's Mass Raider. He probably does something bad. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just mean in terms of... It's that thing where it's like, you feel sympathy for Colin Farrell. Yeah, we generally side with... Because we can tell he genuinely feels bad about it. And it's not that you should forgive everyone automatically just because they feel bad. Some people do things so bad that it's like, you should feel bad, I don't forgive you. But the film, you know, films, we are trained to side with someone, and we like Ray more than we like Harry, despite the many bad things Ray has said and done. Because Harry just openly is a cunt. And I like that they're talking about, like, you know, it's a shame it's in Belgium, but, like, if it was somewhere good, no one would come. And it's like, did Madonna <laughs> just go to Bruges as a child or something and hate it? Is this, did he have the inverse reaction of Harry? I don't know why they singled out Belgium as being a shithole, but hey. They do good chips. Yeah, so Harry can't go through with it after this big speech, so he just shoots him in the leg. But then after learning from Eric that Ray is downstairs, they have this fight, and Harry shoots him in the throat. And with his dying moments Ken throws himself off the top of this tower uh, and then warns Ray who, who runs away Ray and Chloe well the actors have this really good chemistry like they they really sell being like deliriously in lust I don't know like maybe it's just fun to kiss Colin Farrell I imagine it is I I, I, it I, can, day, only, but... I can only imagine that is like if you got to do a movie and you were just like right you, most of your role will be making out with Colin Farrell, uh, you kind of go like, where do you need me? Do you, do I need to take my passport and how much money am I getting paid for this? Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. It just looks like they're both genuinely really enjoying this. And I think that is an underrated thing in movies that, yeah, they, they look the part. And you see them having the drink with Jimmy, who explains why he is wearing the school by outfit. And they, they're like, you know, they call him on what he said before and everything. And, but then, yeah, there is a both a beauty and a utter fucking ridiculousness to Ken's suicide because you know the song playing I think it's Towns Van Zandt and and like dropping the coins from earlier and the mist below him and then it, it's 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 really powerful but then like there's this huge thud and he's alive and says Harry's here and this is all after he's been shot in the fucking throat and it's like why won't you die <laughs> but there's a lot of blood his arm is a little bit messed up. I just, I don't feel he'd be able to form words. <laughs> and then he's like, I think I'm going to die now. And then... I, 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 I enjoy that the movie kind of like takes a leap and gets very, very much more heightened. Yeah. Like it is kind of like a clear de- delineating point where previously like the the most violence we've seen apart from like the, the murder was um, that kind of like vaguely realistic attack where like Ray shoots yeah. Eric in the eye. Yeah. Is, is the kind of like most explicit but kind of like bumbling piece yeah. of violence in the film so far and then violence and then get... crashes into frame <laughs> yeah it like literally crashes yeah, into yeah. frame and but i also enjoy that they still keep it vaguely realistic even within this where like he's fallen face down mm-hmm. onto the gun that he's put into his thing and so the gun is obviously completely smashed up because yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like where's my gun and it's like, ah, well yeah so ray and harry get into this 
chase through the streets of Bruges. I I was shocked when I looked at the runtime. I was like, there's 15 minutes left of this. I know. And I, at the time, my instinct was like, they should have cut everything after this as short as possible because we've hit this emotional high of Ken's death. But then, like, the end is really good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, them getting into this... It culminates in Ray getting shot. Jimmy gets killed. Harry thinks it's a child, so he kills himself. Like, that's what happens plot-wise. But, wait, wait, like, I, I enjoy all the little things, because obviously, yes. obviously, like, the little callback to, like, the fact that he gets the dum-dums. The d- um, dum-dums? Would you like the some dum-dums? <laughs> like, I enjoyed that that's actually got a payoff that doesn't yeah. involve, kind of, like, a character, like, actually head-exploding in, <laughs> like, in a viscerally graphic way. Because, yeah. obviously, like, it, it's the reason why Harry kills himself is because he can't see that it's Jimmy's head because he's blown Jimmy's head off exactly, using yeah. these dum-dums. <laughs> dum-dums. I really like the weird little Mexican standoff when they make it back to the hotel with Ray, well, Harry and Marie because Harry won't hurt her because she is pregnant and you know that Ray suggesting is like right I'll jump out the window you run around there there's a bit there you can get me from you can try and shoot at me from there and that Harry's repeatedly being like do you totally promise and stuff like that it's just this and she's just like you guys are fucking crazy <laughs> um I also like Ray thinking that Harry is he's like you're too far away and then he's just completely wrong and it's like it plays back into the whole thing he was a hitman for one day and he fucked it up and it's like yeah he probably should know the effect range of a gun to sit there and be like nah you're too far away and then there is this like surreal beauty to the final shots where they are like staggering through this this film set because jimmy is filming this uh this nod to don't Don't look Look now Now, and it's all fantastical and i think it's playing into both the last judgment painting don't look now harry's repeated claims that it's like a fairy tale town and it just culminates it just all looks great when they're just you know it's snowing and there's people with weird masks and yeah and you get this transferred guilt when Harry now thinks he has done the thing that Ken did, but he didn't do it. Uh, sorry, that Ray did, but he didn't, but he kills himself anyway because he has to have his principles. And yeah, it's all deliciously fits neatly together in that play kind of way. Ray would 1000% be dead. <laughs> um, I know it ends on that like ambiguous thing where he's like, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. But I think I read somewhere that like according to the script, he does survive, but they just didn't film it or something. I mean, I prefer it this way. Yes, definitely. Like, you, you get to make up your own mind whether or not you think Ray deserves to live or live, live or die. Yeah, yeah. I like, like that he's like, maybe Hal is spending eternity in Bruges, but I yeah, don't want to like, die. Yeah, the, like, the, the theme comes in with a sledgehammer at this point where they start explicitly talking about, like, heaven, hell, and purgatory and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, and it's like, okay. Yeah, you're waiting for Harry to come and deliver your judgement in purgatory. Yeah, it's a great, like, this kind of is the kind of ending that I say I don't like, but I think it works here in a way that it doesn't always, um, because it isn't it is giving you something it's not just a wistful and then i woke up (laughs) yeah i will never let that one go you can simply just decide for yourself he lived or he died but i enjoyed the narrative complete experience and yeah this ending is really powerful and when i think about it i don't recommend it to people because i'm like oh it's really fucking funny it does have a lot of great lines i I admit i think this is a wickedly funny movie that i I mean but i'm also that person that's like all this kind of straight comedies we've done are not movies i would necessarily pick which is that weird thing where, like, I'm as much as I enjoy comedy, it's rarely the thing that kind of like sticks with me. I think comedies that have that like dramatic element tend to stand better because it's yeah. I mean, it, it's once why... you've heard all the jokes, what more is there? Is yeah. kind of the thing. Whereas 
stuff like this, stuff like, in my opinion, Superbad, in my opinion, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, there is something to them beyond the ha-ha-ha, here's our Yeah, it, it, it's why, like, like Fleabag, Bojack Horseman, yes. Parks and Recreation are shows that I love, is because there is more to them than just the funny, funny ha-ha-ha, yeah. in that I'm attached to characters, I'm attached to themes and dramatic kind of resonance, and it's why this kind of, like, this latest decade of TV kind of being more like half-hour dramas that are very funny is something that's very much appealed to me, as opposed to a let's do a 20 minute joke fest yeah it's like um, i don't really like genres like let's let's fuck around let's do everything like why can't a drama be funny why can't a comedy have drama like yeah i mean i will i will point to i think that breaking bad and mad men can be some of the funniest shows or worse some of the funniest shows on tv hmm. when they felt like doing that kind of thing and but they're yeah. also really fucking dark and yeah and there will be thing. blood and no country have some funny beats in them and yeah i i like to think of it as like they're basically using the comedy to sort of Trojan horse in some drama and some like commentary on real heavy issues with a lot of yeah. these TV shows these days. Um, but anyway, I I would never recommend this as like, oh, go see this. It's so funny. I recommend it because I think it's just a really good fucking story and like great acting from Colin Farrell and the music, the 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 cinematography, like all of it. It's I think yeah. Really I, I, I I I was trying to see whether or not the cinematography done much. It's Igel Brilled who has kind of done more kind of like TV work since including sadly um every episode of crisis and six scenes which was woody allen's amazon tv series so god yeah um <laughs> woody allen like, and jeff bezos good friends uh. yeah um, apparently they shot the report this year i'm excited to see that when that does show up on amazon in a few weeks i say a few weeks it'll be out it'll be out by the time this episode's released so yeah well that's kind of do it for in bruges uh it's it's i feel like everyone has seen it but no one talks about it and and it's it, it's uh, weird I, this was this was like a bonding point movie for people in my first term of university yeah. uh, there are multiple people who i can point to and be like that this was like their favorite movie and i do love this movie mm. i do think that the problematic elements have not aged well and maybe Ooh. if it, like three <laughs> years if in three years time if i watch this movie again maybe i'm not going to think it still holds up and isn't kind of like reprehensible trash Nah, but um, Colin Farrell crushes it. It's real. That thing is like that thing is like so much of this movie. Like it's still three great performances. It's still completely like a fantastic kind of like character study. And I do think that lines that aren't kind of like problematic, like you're an animate fucking object, <laughs> stand up so so well. Yeah. Good movie. Glad we covered it. I got I got to have a very nice time with watching it with a very tiny kitten in my lap. So that was very enjoyable for me. Ah. Well, we're going to do a movie that is in no way problematic next week. Um, we're going to do The Wrestler, which... Oh, yes. Worlds Collide. Yeah, that's going to be an experience for us both, I think. Can I do my bold claim? Go on, then. My favourite movie of the decade. Oof, jeez. Alright, well, that's put some pressure on it all. Go to IntoTheRealWorld.com. Go to SoundCloud.com. Mike and Matt. We have a lot of podcasts here now running on a weekly basis. Not just this. Not just the Superhero Pantheon. Flooping the Pig has joined the real world. That is Kevin Ford, Justin Houston, and Brad Garoon's podcast about Adventure Time. They have new episodes coming in the new year, so we're uploading their archive for now. Yeah, Mike might do things on the website. I owe him a Legion Series 3 podcast. He doesn't remember anything 
everything that happened. How many episodes of Legion you got left to watch? I committed to watching it all again from the start, and I'm halfway through series two, but that was months ago that I was doing that, so... Well, it's fun. we've only got four movies left to do, so maybe you can, like, cover out some time before we move into Well, we've got another one. podcast coming immediately in 2020. Anyway, It's fine. That... If we get these recorded by the end of this month, then you've got a couple of weeks to watch Legion. Yeah, a couple of weeks? Thanks. Um... <laughs> In addition to that great gift, can you do me the gift of telling me if there will be movies? You're a fucking inanimate movie. Bye, everyone. <laughs> so long, still I didn't know, and I did it for so long.